0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that?
1: Hey, guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts.
2: It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Uh, welcome to podcast. Like it's nineteen ninety nine. I'm your host, Cove. and with me today is past, present, and future guest Joe Reed, uh, host of this At Oscar Buzz podcast, managing editor primetimer.com. He is here today to talk with me about the state dinner. Um, but before state we get to dinner. Lecture, the state yes. dinner, but before we get to that, let's rewind a little yes. bit. Um, right. did you watch this show in ninety nine? Were you? Oh, yeah. uh, oh, really? Okay, so you were you were in it from the jump.
1: Yeah, I was in college in ninety-nine, which I think I mentioned uh mm-hmm. when I was on uh, your show previously. Mm-hmm. Um 99 would have been my sophomore year in college, and this was like the big show of that fall, obviously. Really? I I, I I remember it being like the prestige, not maybe probably not like among college sophomores, <laughs> but um, I was special. I was, you know, um, I was really smart for a college kid. Um, sure. No, but like this was like the big NBC prestige pilot. I remember there was it got a ton of advertising, and I was already very aware of Aaron Sorkin. Sports Night had been on the year before, and I really liked that. I was a big fan of The American President, and obviously The West Wing felt like I, I'll I. There are a couple of things in this episode I feel like really reminded me of um, the American president, but also like more so than that, I was such a twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old nerd for a few good men. Like again,
2: well, sure, sure,
1: an incredibly cool kid. Um, <laughs> I I a few good men wasn't like the. F- like, was not the first R-rated uh, movie I ever saw. In fact, I think we talked about how, when we talked about Dead Calm, um, yep. that that might have been my first <laughs> yeah. R-rated movie. But, like, was definitely an early one for me that I, like, watched on VHS after, like like, right after it was available on VHS, and got so obsessed with it. I was such a, I was very, very much a kid who liked to feel like an adult, when I was a kid, you know what I mean? I like to feel grown up and like a few good men was like a grown-ups movie. I knew it was an Oscar Mm -hmm. nominee. I knew it was like, you know, these big movie stars and whatever. And I got so obsessed with it and I rented it a bunch of times from the video store. And then, and I might've mentioned this on my (laughs) podcast or maybe not, whatever. Um, new to you. Um, The remember when, like, the pay per view movie channels used Uh to operate on the same principle as, like, the pay-per-view porn channels where like Correct. it would scramble, yes. Yes. like you would, yeah. you would go to a channel for it and it would scramble mm-hmm. but the audio was like whatever and I had already seen A Few Good Men probably like four or five times by then so <laughs> I would, I remember the one summer it was on pay-per-view movie channel and I would just go to the scrambled channel and just listen to it like it was a radio play.
2: This would, I mean this would make Aaron Sorkin so happy to hear
1: It really would, it's very much <laughs> that like what was that play he did about the invention of television that didn't do oh,
2: anything? Oh, the F.R. Uh, Farnsworth
1: uh, invention. Right, the yeah. Farnsworth invention. This is very the Farnsworth invention. I feel. This is what television was made for. Was for precocious little thirteen-year-old
2: pseudo intellectuals to listen. I'm kind to of surprised first. he hasn't adapted that into a film. Quite frankly, Me or too. at least, a, or like a mini series or something. Like that seems so. Right. Like why? Yes. Why hasn't that happened yet?
1: Especially because I, 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 he doesn't seem to be somebody who takes failure. Well, you know what I mean? Like, he would want to sort of rehab that, maybe, if at all possible. Yes,
2: he would absolutely want a reclamation on this brilliant thing that he did.
1: But I got to the point where I could, like, quote almost the entire film of If You Can Men Not. If you If I catch it on cable now and I'll watch it— Sure. I'll still be able to just like, I could probably just like lip sync to the entire thing. Well, there's something just, like,
2: very melodious about the way This he is writes. my
1: thing with Aaron Sorkin's writing. Right? This is always yeah. my thing with Aaron Sorkin's writing is even when it's not, even when it's frustrating or mm-hmm. has, it can be sexist, it can be blinkered, it can be politically weird or whatever. Yes. But, like, the way the... And he talks about this on The West Wing, because obviously The West Wing is about mm-hmm. speechwriters, and he has Toby go on about these, you know, that, like, speechwriting can have a rhythm and a timbre, and it's, like, music and whatever, and it's mm-hmm. just, like... That's annoying, but yes, that is true. Like yes, Aaron. Like you are. There's even a, your- a,
2: a a moment in this episode where mm-hmm. they're in in Toby's office, and Roblo reads him a line that he yes. wrote, yes. and and it, it's it's jarring for a bunch of reasons. First of all, it's badly written, but it's also yes. it stands out. In a show that yes. is so obviously specific about the way that people speak. Um, and then to hear this line come out of Rob Lowe's mouth that is so jarring and 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 stilted and awful. Yeah. Uh and, and, yeah. and also dumb, like doesn't have anything to say. Like right. it's it's just it's it, it it's yeah, it's funny. But that's why his shows I think
1: are so incredibly rewatchable, even when they're not like I will rewatch the newsroom. And like the newsroom I had very, very mixed feelings <laughs> on. I do feel like it yeah. got good for a while there. But like even when you know the newsroom. Is bad like it's rewatchable in the way That musicals are rewatchable and like That you like listen to songs Over and over again because it's just like It hits your ear or at least my Ear uh very well And the West Wing I have rewatched Through countless Times I remember it used to be on like Morning weekday morning reruns on Bravo and I would watch yep. that all the yep. time um it was my it was always my like chill out show on netflix and now that it's not on netflix anymore i've got to like retrain my my system to go to hbo max for it sure, even though sure, sure. hbo max always freezes on me for some reason so whatever a
2: lot of complaints about the hbo max app i don't have i mean i i not to get all whatever but they did have a very strange glitch for about a week and a half last week where they fucked with the way that it works with an apple tv and it was a nightmare uh, and they fixed it thankfully but i do want to i i want to kind of hone in on what you're talking about in terms of aaron's writing because i do think that um and, and this might sound sacrilege, but I think that other directors understand Aaron's writing better than Aaron does. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm not sure that he's completely... And I, I imagine he'll get there. But yeah. in the two films that he's done thus far, he doesn't seem to understand that every word he writes doesn't need the same amount of emphasis. Right, right. Like, <laughs> right you can't have the whole thing dotted 11, or you become numb to it. Like, that was right. my big issue with, one of my big issues with Chicago 7, yeah. which was that every word was so important to Aaron Sorkin that... Yes unfortunately, you became sort of, like, deadened to it. Does that make sense? I haven't
1: gotten to the rewatchable place with Chicago 7 yet, even though I really did enjoy it quite a bit when I first watched it. I have gotten to that place with Molly's Game, where I will acknowledge the flaws in Molly's Game, but, like, Molly's Game is on HBO roughly seven times a day somehow. (laughs) And... Every time I come across it, I'll stick with it for at least a little bit. It's just incredibly, even with like poor Idris Elba in that movie, the dialogue oh, yeah. that that man has to like get his like accent around Ooh. is like already kind of shaky. Like, well, he's done good American accents before in the past, but like mm-hmm. him doing that particular task, it was tough. It was tough for Idris,
2: but um, yeah, he had a mouthful of marbles on that one he for sure, really, really did. Um, yeah. But, I've, I've, but I I I think that I think Molly's game opens like Gangbusters and I could watch the opening of Molly's game many times over. It it gets bumpy, but yeah. it it starts with just a and and it actually segues quite well to to this episode to a certain degree, which is that this episode, watching it yesterday, um was maybe the first episode of the show thus far and we're this is episode 7 um where it felt classically West Wing to me, like where it all was really clicking.
1: It's so funny that you say that, because I, in a previous sort of incarnation, whatever, I had my, because now, the right now, the Tumblr that I use the most is just the one that we post our episodes descriptions for This at Oscar mm-hmm. Buzz, and This at Oscar Buzz started as a Tumblr, but... I had a Tumblr just for, like, myself and, like, whatever, like, weird shit I wanted to write. And it became, Mm -hmm. for a while, a West Wing Tumblr where I was just, like, (laughs) rewatching the whole series. And I got through, like, season two and then I just petered off, as I often would do. Um, But I went back and I read my entry that I wrote about uh, the state dinner and I said that exact same thing. I was like, this is the first episode that really feels like it comes together and is classic West Wing. It still has a little, the thing I noticed this time was after the opening credits, it still has that little sort of, like, tootly music at the beginning where it's just like I'm not sure I need you to be pushing the whimsy on this Then <laughs> I
2: agree, I agree um,
1: but yeah, the first handful of episodes there's definitely like, most of it's there but there's, you're right, this is the first one that feels like all of the storylines are sort of moving in time with each other and everything feels like it's it's running on rails in the way that it will for the next you know, several seasons until probably Sorkin leaves
2: <laughs> it's, it's interesting too because like Um, Up until this point, it's a calibration thing in the sense of, like, how do I feed all these mouths, right? Like, how do I get all these characters to feel balanced? Um, And this is the first episode where they achieve that balance, where Mm -hmm. everyone feels like they have the right amount of screen time. And once you remove Mandy from the equation, which obviously happens, Mm -hmm. then her stuff can get spread amongst her right. you know what I mean her real estate gets spread amongst everybody yeah. else and then the balance really starts to the
1: And it's impressive right. that they get that balance right in this episode because this episode yeah. introduces a new character. This is the first Correct. Abby Bartlett episode, which Correct. is the reason why I asked for this one when you gave me the selection of episodes. Oh, I'm
2: super excited to talk about, about uh, Stalker Channing and, and and the Abby character. Yeah. I want to give yeah. a, a brief synopsis here real quick for the for our listeners. Uh, as a night's stylish state dinner, dis, uh, sorry, dishonoring. Oh, it kind of dishonors. Uh, honoring mm-hmm. the Indonesian president looms in the background. President Bartlett keeps his eye on a spat of potentially explosive problems. An FBI hostage situation with dozens of militant survivalists. A Class 4 hurricane bearing down on a carrier group at sea and an impending national trucker strike. Behind the scenes, the gracious first lady prepares to host the dinner. A pushy reporter uh, flirts with CJ, Josh, and Toby, corner an Indonesian government official to ask for a favor. And a surprise, Sam spies his call girlfriend, Lori, at an event. Oh, we will talk about Lori in a second. Uh, the yeah. state dinner aired on November 10th, 1999. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and Paul Redford, directed by Tommy Shlamy. 13.66 million viewers tuned into this episode. Um, I... I mean, listen, I've been pretty open about my feelings about the Laurie storyline in previous episodes. I, I stand by the fact that I think it's arguably one of the worst storylines this show's it ever is. done.
1: It is. And it's too bad because I love uh, uh I love that aspect so much. Yeah. Lisa Lisa Eldersne, yes, thank you.
2: She's tremendous. Um it, it's it's just it's ham fisted. Uh it it's it it feels so networky in a dumb late nineties way. Yes. Um and it makes It feels Sam like look it's there so because
1: Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah,
2: please, please, please. It
1: feels like it's there because at the beginning of the series, there was this sense that it was, that Rob Lowe was the lead among, like he was elevated among the rest of the staffers. And you needed to give Rob Lowe a, an A story that mm-hmm. like would go across episodes. And mm-hmm. it's so funny how quickly this show realizes and sort of clicks into its own rhythm about the fact that it is such an ensemble show. And that, you know, that obviously famously Bartlett was supposed to be just a, you know, rarely seen character and that corrected itself because Martin Sheen's performance was so compelling. And Rob Lowe sort of had the opposite happen to him where like he was supposed to be the main guy and that he kind of got brought down to sea level with the other um, cast members, and I think this feels like almost like a vestigial tale of this because I agree, it's we're supposed to give like him something extra special to do, but it's so it plays into Sorkin's worst tendencies when he's writing about uh couples Roman. <laughs> and romance. yeah, exactly. Like he's he's not he stumbles his way into good ones every once in a while. Mm-hmm. I am a staunch Josh and Amy person, I think that is. That's an right. incredibly right. written romance that had like a lot of logistical hur- hurdles for the fact mm-hmm. that they couldn't keep Mary Louise Parker as much as they would have probably wanted yeah. to. Yeah, But I'm getting well ahead of myself.
2: Um, no, 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 I, I agree. It's, it's that, that I think the reason that jumps out so much to you and, and quite frankly, to me as well um, is because how evenly keeled it is, how balanced it is that, that the, yeah. the, the, the and I hate to use power dynamics, but the power dynamics between the two of them is yeah. balanced. You can feel yeah. that she is a a, a worthy opponent, quote-unquote, to Josh exactly. and vice and versa. He's the kind
1: of character who needs something like that because he's always one. Right. It's, that's why his relationship with Donna never fully works for me because he's so – I think he's – I think for so long he's so um, condescending to her that it like – sure. It and I know that that's like whatever screwball dynamic, yada, 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 but it's just like it totally poisons that well for me. And I'm the person who remember that one episode again. I'm getting super ahead of myself. I don't know how much you like to talk about future episodes. We that one episode whatever. where CJ finally has like she's she and Donna are sort of been locked down in the office together, mm-hmm. and she's just like, why haven't you gotten a better job than this? It's been five years, and it's just yeah. like that's me. That's CJ is me in that scene,
2: and I yeah. I I absolutely get that. I mean, it, you're, you're I mean listen, I I'm I'm a fan of Josh and Donna as well. I, I don't necessarily think you have to choose one or the other. I, I think that sure. the Josh and Donna relationship is very endearing, uh, and very sweet. Um I, I think that um despite the fact that he's her boss, she pretty much has him wrapped around her finger. Um that is so true. so it, it, it is not necessarily as egregious as perhaps some people might might feel. Um, and, and Janelle Maloney is just, I mean, fr- from the jump, I've, sa- I've said this quote a couple times in the episodes, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it, um, that uh, John Spencer had his first scene with her in the pilot, and he goes up to her and he's like, can you get Josh for me? And she screams, Josh over her shoulder, and he says, uh, you know, I could have done that. And then when the apparently when they were finished, he turned to her and said, you're going to be here till the curtain comes down. Oh,
1: so, no like, kidding. What a great it's,
2: story. It's a great story, and it's just mm-hmm. like an acknowledgement to the fact that from the jump, Dump. Mandy never had a chance. Uh, right. that, that Donna was, was clearly the, the right partner uh, mm-hmm. for the banter and for the what have you with Josh. She also, quite frankly, and this was something that Mandy could never do, was that Donna served a purpose for the audience, which is that Josh is always explaining stuff to her about policy yes. that we need. Yes, explained Donna to. was
1: indispensable. Like, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want I want to uh, uh, read just a couple quick clips of some interviews with Stalker Channing uh, about oh, yes, the Abby character. Um, she said, They sent me the script and I was barely in it. Stalker Channing recalls about her initial appearance in the show. She says that she was very disappointed with the size of the part and frustrated because she had no idea what the character should be. I'm very used to spending either time figuring out who the character looks like, sounds like, how old she is, what her background is, or I'm presented with the information so I sort of uh, know what's happening from the writer or director, she said. She didn't have the time to do that on her own and the West Wing co-creator Aaron Sorkin didn't supply the biographical information Uh, no I don't work that way was all he initially said she was working on another project in Toronto at the time when the West Wing uh, airlifted her to shoot her short scene I literally got off the plane went into wardrobe went to set and there was Martin Sheen who I had never met in my entire life in a white tie, in, uh, white tie and tails. Oh, I was wow. in an evening dress and I said, Hi, we've never, ne- never met, but I think we've been married for about 50 million years. <laughs> he laughed and later said, I think we have daughters. We have daughters. She exclaimed, action. The director yelled. <laughs> the, com- the conversation <laughs> ended. God. The scene began and Channing and Martin, uh, Sheen's president Bartlett had great chemistry. It's just luck. Um, wow. I-, I think that there's something about, Uh, There's one other thing I'll read here. Uh, After we finished the first take, I, Stalker Channing, said to the West Wing then uh, director, sorry, writer, Aaron Sorkin, you've got to tell me who Abby is, she said. I can't tell you that, he said. Uh, Then why am I here? (laughs) He said, talent. I said, we have no time for flattery. I I think that there's something... that's
1: so fascinating.
2: ...really funny about the way Aaron Sorkin perceives actors... You know, mm-hmm. that they are they are uh, vehicles for his words. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Um, and that he'll figure it out when there's a gun to his head. Yep. When it comes to where these characters come from, how it all kind of works itself out. Yep. And I respect the hell out of it because that seems impossible and I don't know how he does it. But I also think that as an actor, and quite frankly as a viewer, there's times where I do find myself feeling like we haven't plotted this out.
1: Well, and this would become a problem for him logistically as the series went on when – and a lot of that was he wasn't getting scripts in early enough. But they couldn't keep a guest star. They couldn't hold on to Ainsley Hayes for any longer. They couldn't hold on to Mary Louise Parker uh, longer than they did that. And, like, you have these guest sort of arcs that feel like – like, if you watch season two – there are parts where it feels like Ainsley Haynes is about to become, like, a lead character on that show. Where, like, not even just her introduction episode, but, like, their episodes where, like, it's framed through her eyes. And it's just like, oh, okay, she's going to be, like, a major, like, part of the show. And then just because yep. I think logistics of it, and I haven't really heard anything from Emily Proctor about that otherwise, but, like, it just feels like they weren't able to... Right ahead enough to know how much they were going to need her, and then she got whatever CSMI Miami and mean, it was all over.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's exactly how how you've laid it out. I think that you know a lead role on a on a you know a procedural television CBS spinoff came her way, yeah. and. And my guess is that her agent said "Shit, her get off the pot to the West Wing and they didn't know, to your point, how far ahead they were going to go with her. Um, I I love Ainsley Hayes. I think she's one of the best characters. I mean, season two is is, is still my favorite season of the show. Um, I, I think because it feels so... Uh, whether it is or it isn't um round it off like it really feels like it comes back on itself when you think about the first episode to the last episode of that season it feels yes. complete in a way mm-hmm. that no other season of the show really does yeah. um, so and anyway and obviously september 11th changed everything in terms of the way that the show was um its ideologies and the way that it could do what it wanted to do Very for obvious so. reasons yes. um but but I but I think to your to your point you know uh Sorkin writes things very. I mean, literally would write scenes they before they shoot. Like they, they wouldn't even have full right. scripts. I mean, there were no right. real. Um, I mean, when they did have uh, table reads, you know, they might not even be for complete scripts. So it, it's it's definitely a a a, a troubled production yeah. in terms of how hard that must have been to do.
1: Well, I was going to say it makes me give even more credit to Stockard Channing. And I am already prepared to give all the credit to Stockard Channing. One of my favorite performances on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever she's on and she, I think you can sense if you compare the state dinner to like maybe the next handful of performances, by the time she shows up for the state of the union episode where he Mm -hmm. collapses, Mm -hmm. um, there's already more uh, sort of playful combativeness between the two of them. When she Mm -hmm. says like, you know, she's, said something about just, like, I could, like, beat you to death or something like that. Yeah, and, like, yeah. you do see that a little bit in here, but, like, the, she's, the, there's... The The big scene between them is the one where she talks about how he's got an ego the size of Montana, yada, yada. But she do loves to see him, you know, try and solve yeah. it. Yeah. And it's, like, it's very sort of, like, admiring you could tell like there's there's some you know grit in there with her obviously you see that a lot in her scene with cj where she's just sort of you know she's she's in the game with the staffers in a in a way and yet also like very like into cj's personal life and whatnot
2: um i I think it's also interesting that um just for very quickly that no channing stalker channing said that um the prickliness of Abby's character yeah. was because she was annoyed, but she didn't know anything I about her. Freaking love that.
1: I think that's so fantastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, that, that, and it NX becomes such him. a big
1: part of her character. Like her so hallmark, many of the best yeah. scenes between her and Jed are when they're sparring about this or that. Yes, and
2: yes, yes.
1: And it's so funny because I've always thought that um, the West Wing was such a reaction to the Clinton presidency, was essentially mm-hmm. what if, the idealism of Clinton without the skeeziness of Bill Clinton. Correct. correct. What without the scandal of Bill Clinton? What if he had like a really morally upstanding guy, but yet it would borrow things like, like Rob Lowe is obviously very George Stephanopoulos and, and, you know, sort of stuff like that. And a lot of, Jed and Abby's relationship felt very Bill and Hillary, like a marriage of equals. Like they both had their agendas and they both had their ambitions. And she was obviously a lot of what Abby is in terms of like, she's a doctor and she wants to, um, you know, have her own identity. That's all very Hillary Rodham Clinton. And um, so it's funny that you know, that, that relationship between them becomes this sort of like, it's, you know, what if, again, what if Bill and Hillary Clinton, you know, were sparring, but like, we believed that they really loved each other. You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) No, for sure. And, and, and I think there's also something, um, you know the, the 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 Clintons have always been perceived uh, as as deeply political animals, yes. um, as 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 these sort of Machiavellian what have you, puppet exactly. masters. You right. don't sense that from the Bartlets at all. Right. Right? You don't really get the impression that these two are are twirling mustaches. They right. they 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 both have. Uh, um, you know, aspirations and they both hope to make the country a better place. Yes. But they're not doing it through back-channel, weird, fucked-up things that people perceive the Clintons to have done. Right. So... Yeah. And you'll get that in a
1: few episodes in White House pro when he literally is just like, I will not be these people. We will not be these people who go through the press right. like to maneuver around each other. And I think that's very, very much a statement about what Sorkin wanted that marriage to be as opposed to what the perception of the Clintons
2: was. I, I think there's also something, you know, to, to, to unpack their marriage even farther. You know, season three we is when we really see the fallout of the censure of of him lying to the public and of her, you know, medicating him Um right which is obviously not allowed. Um, So, and, and, and her having to lose her license, him being censured, Mm -hmm. um, what that does to their marriage. There's this great episode in season three, dead Irish writers, where you really get to, where you really get to see Abby with the other women in, Mm -hmm. you know uh, you've got Donna, you have, uh, um, oh my God. uh, CJ and Amy, CJ, and Amy Gardner, of course. And, 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 and Abby sort of sitting on this high horse of indignation about mm-hmm. what happened, and then Don obviously taking her down a notch and being like, you know, you knew you you knew he was the president. You knew you were a doctor when you were giving him the drugs. Right. Um, it, it's it's you know it's that type of stuff where, um, and again, putting throwing out you know how character arcs are laid out and how Sorkin looks at them from thirty thousand feet, or if he even does, but. It's it's a beautiful sort of uh ability to be able to take Abby, look inside, take her down a notch, really be able to sort of show the humility of this person yeah. um who who doesn't even seem like a human being. I mean, there's a great moment in this episode, in fact, it's one of my favorite moments, is when Laurie gets to meet Abby. Yeah. Yes, and it's a real sort of starstruck awe yes. moment for Laurie, yeah. um, and you and you really get to think like, yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like to be around these people. They they seem yeah. they, they might seem like superheroes. It introduces one of my favorite sort of character
1: beats with Abby that we'll see recur a lot through the series, which is how familiar she is with the staff and how yes. much she sort of acts with them on a level where she he, she mentions that. Um, he's taking the teamsters out by the woodshed, essentially, and he's yeah. like, "Why?" And she's like, "Because he can't stop a hurricane and he can't save a a, sh- a shooting victim." Yeah, and and it's just like, and she's, you know, she you get you see that again with her with uh, with Leo when she's, yeah. you know, sort of she's in on the strategy talk, but she's she's not from that level on high that Jed comes to them with where mm-hmm. if you feel like they can be they can sort of. Uh, act a little bit more on a level with Abby. And I love that. I love every time we see little signs of that in uh, in her appearances.
2: And I also love when she pulls rank on them too.
1: <laughs> also that. <laughs> CJ can't have any cider. I, I thought of that when it was, there was it, it, I thought of that because um, the scene with her and CJ, it mm-hmm. still feels like every once in a while, early Alice and Janney on this show feels like, yeah. um, a little bit of a different Alice and Janney, a little more um, almost sitcom-y, not to say that she wasn't great because she was, but I feel like even the way she's, her, uh, wardrobe has her sort of like dressed and made up mm-hmm. where I felt, I literally wrote down um she's styled very much in the way that Anna DeVere Smith's character in American president is styled. She was the mm-hmm. press secretary in that one. And I feel like they haven't, they still have are sort of working on getting to sort of what the sort of like CJ becomes a lot sleeker as the sort of show goes along.
2: Yeah. I, I, I actually was going to uh, bring that up too. Th- this CJ's character doesn't really come into focus, if you ask me, until the tail end of this season. Even I, I, I really get the impression that Aaron Sorkin doesn't know what he has yet with her. Yes. Like he doesn't, he doesn't know her tool belt, and he doesn't yep. know what he can do with her. Um, and then CJ, really, I mean, obviously she's one of the one of the best characters ever on television yeah. really blossoms and becomes her own. Cause right now she still feels very small. She still feels like a she supporting does. player. You know, it's- you know
1: what I think does it, I think for me is the storyline where she gets uh closed out of the loop on the India, Pakistan thing. And she really has to like assert herself and be like, like, don't do that. Like you can yeah. trust me. You can, pull me in and I can be part of, you know, the strategy here. And I think I think that's a that's a big one for her. But this still feels a yeah. little bit like um, she has a character in Primary Colors, where yes, she's a yes. teacher. Falls like, on she's, the stairs. And she sort of falls on the stairs. And this feels a little bit like you get that in the pilot of the West Wing where yeah. she sort of like, she falls on the treadmill and whatever. And like, mm-hmm. Sorkin does enjoy having his female characters fall down.
2: Um, he does. He does, unfortunately.
1: But, like, I feel like that's a little like CJ one point I think we're still a little bit in CJ one point here.
2: I, I also, I mean, this this is gonna sound superficial, but her, her hair too. Like yep. it's just a lot of it feels frumpy and 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 oddly kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, insecure almost in a weird yes. way. Yes. And I think that to your point, I think they find her spine. And yeah. I think that Allison Janney finds her spine. And yes. when that starts to happen is when the character really turns into something okay. um, three-dimensional and, and, and really tremendous. But um, this episode opens with CJ uh, with a great classic West Wing opening where you have CJ talking to the press, more, more specifically in style mm-hmm. about Abby's outfit for the state dinner. And then you get your three converging storylines all coming at CJ. So in this cold open, the whole episode is laid out for you, which is Josh yes. preps her on Hurricane Sarah, which is about to make landfall in Georgia. Sam mm-hmm. tells her about the truck driver's teamsters and they're voting to strike. Uh, and Toby preps CJ in a potential hostage situation that's brewing in McLean, Idaho. And then in a classic West Wing way, the whole opening comes back on itself with an in-style yes. reporter asking Abby, uh, asking again about Abby's outfit. Uh, yeah. and just to, to prove that like and in classic CJ form, she's like, and ironically, the thing I'm going to be asked about most is, and then right. the the tee up of the joke. I mean, it's right. it it is, it's the first opening that I really kind of like got the goosebumps of like, okay, this mm-hmm. is now we're humming. He's figured out the yes. the structure of how this show can work. Some of the
1: earlier cold opens, the opening credits sort of just happen and you're just Crash. like, oh, I guess like that scene is done. <laughs> and this one feels very you're right. It feels very West Wing. It's just like we're like we're wrapping it all up at the end and putting a button on that cold open and then it's like flourish and it's and it's opening credits music.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're it right. feels also just very um up until this point, and and to 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 underline your point, the the cold opens don't really feel like cold opens, right. and I think he, he's now cracked. Oh, I can do a mini play mm-hmm. in seven minutes or yep. four minutes, however long it is, and have a nice little dot at the end of it, and and yep. and also use it as a microcosm of the episode to come, as exactly. opposed to. Yeah. So it, it it really is. It, it's 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 really it's really special. Um, yep. Josh tells Donna they needed an a Indo- Indonesian interpreter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Leo briefs the staff about the trucker strike that's going on, that it's about job tiers and wages and benefits and what have you. Uh, Leo sits with the truckers union and uh, and the corporations to try to work something out. Um, So Mandy is given a full-throated storyline for the first time on the West Wing.
1: Well, and and one that feels at least part of the show, like, she got a bunch of storyline in the first two episodes, but it was so outside of everything else that was going on. And I think that really helped to kill that character right off the bat. Because, like, (laughs) really... She's so incredibly obnoxious in those first two episodes where she's, you know, driving up on the curb and she's haranguing the senator or whatever and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, like, why... Like, again, I feel like at the beginning, she was also sort of being set up to be a lead on the show. And I think very quickly the show realized that like, that's not working. And so they really pulled back on that one quickly. Um, cause at the, like Rob Lowe and Moira Kelly were the only two besides Martin Sheen were the two mm-hmm. like names. No like names, she had been yeah. in the cutting edge. She had been in with honors and all these movies mm-hmm. and Rob Lowe was Rob Lowe. But like even John Spencer, I only really knew John Spencer cause he had been on LA law. I knew he was like yep. this, you know, yep. great character actor, but like Richard Schiff, I didn't know from anybody. Bradley Whitford, I, like, I was a Happy Gilmore person more than a Billy Madison person, so I didn't even really know Bradley Whitford by that point. I kind and of know him
2: from uh, Adventures in Babysitting.
1: I take that back. You're <laughs> absolutely right. He's the boyfriend in what's Adventures in Babysitting. How dare I? I loved that movie. Um, but, like, Moira Kelly was, like, again, Martin Sheen aside, the second yep. most highest Hopefully. profile uh, member of that cast. And I find Mandy in the first season so fascinating to sort of track her because yeah. like it's, it's, you know, why did everything else on the show succeeded and why did this fail so badly? And I don't, I think some people chalk it up to Moira Kelly and I don't, because I think <laughs> Moira Kelly can be a very, very good actress.
2: And yeah, I don't think it's her fault either.
1: I think that character is written really abrasively from the beginning <laughs> and not in a way that like we, you know, we don't, we don't accept abrasiveness from female characters. Like sometimes show, like this is not a Skylar White situation from Breaking Bad where like I have a very, very big hair trigger for that. I think she's like legitimately written incredibly abrasively. And by the time they start to sort of soften that, I think it's already too late. This episode almost, almost works for her because they, I think if they would keep, would, would have just held back from, continually pointing out that she was finally getting in the game i would have liked it a lot better for her if they would have kept from this like runner of her being like josh are you mad because i'm getting in the game and it's just like for fuck's sake i don't care about you and josh i don't care about mandy and josh as an ex-couple
2: i just truly don't and they don't even really they don't even really hit it very hard Is the weird thing like they do but they they keep
1: mentioning it like it's just weird it's yeah yeah. but like she's the one with she's on the right track about the Teamsters uh union thing. And like she's the only one really expressing like liberal ideals in this liberal White House about like employment and like all this stuff about like um it's actually like an int- like a really prescient uh Issue in terms of like full time employees versus mm-hmm. part time contractors, where like mm-hmm. that thing has only grown more and more disparate, you know, as the years go on. But then at the same episode, they have her take. The malicious side it's in crazy. the Ruby Ridge thing, and it's just like I don't it's understand. Crazy. There's no consistent consistency in this character.
2: Well, I think that I think that Alan Suppenwall, um said it in our in the pilot episode, but that you know that one of the big issues with Mandy's character is that fundamentally she is the she's antagonistic to this administration, right? Like right. she is always the one or generally speaking, tends to be the one who takes the most pragmatic way of looking at things when, however, you're living inside an administration that is perhaps naive, but has like grand sweeping notions of things that it can do. And Mandy has to be the one to go, tisk tisk, that can't happen. And right. and, and, and I'm sure that to write that character is fucking annoying. Yeah. And, and to sort of to keep having to take the wind out of your sails sucks. And then on top of all of that... Even within this episode, she's she's more concerned about the PR ramifications of this hostage situation than right. she is that lives might be in danger. It's right. just a big mess. Well, and part of that is her role in the
1: administration because she is the media director. And so, like, mm-hmm. that's, that is technically her job. But the problem to that also is the only characters we really are around yeah. are essentially the communication staff. Josh is deputy yeah. chief of staff. But, like, Toby, Sam, CJ – they're all communications. They already have an eye on how this is going to, like, how we Play. need to yeah. this to the public. So yeah. Mandy feels like an extra, a sort of, you know, an extra appendage that we don't really need, and totally. and is constantly being written, like, like you said, uh, sort of uh, confrontationally with mm-hmm. them, and. And then even the way this episode sort of like brings it around where she advocates for the mediator to get sent in to the separatists in Idaho and the mediator gets shot and Josh sort of tells her that in the middle of this state dinner and <laughs> then, but it's this weird like comedic beat where she's like, I'm going to be sick and whatever. And it's just like, and that's the end of that storyline. We don't really hear any more from Mandy in this episode. I don't and know so not that, like that, well, that I felt it as comedic. I actually, did you feel it was comedic? I think it's, well, I don't, but I think that particular beat was played that way. The way she says, like, I think I'm going to be sick. And then she leaves and Josh is just sort of like there by himself. I think it's very incongruous with the rest of the thing. And the fact that we don't see Mandy again, that's the last we sort of hear from her on that issue. Yeah. Like sort of cuts cuts that off at the knees
2: and then she's the only the only time we see her is at the end when she's being hugged by josh during yeah. the, the the final scene which we'll talk about later but i, I want to uh, read a, uh, a line of hers mm-hmm. uh which really uh hits home in uh, 2021 uh it's not the nuts that are the greatest threat to democracy oh, it's the unbridled there. power of the state over its citizens Woo-hoo. hits I a mean... little differently in
1: 2021
2: <laughs> just, I, I, just a smidge yeah But back then
1: that seemed like that seemed like the enlightened opinion, right? The enlightened opinion, which is, you know you know i will defend to the death you know your right to you know act in accordance with freedom Liberty. or whatever yeah yeah and now it's just like no maybe the danger <laughs> is all these people with guns who <laughs> feel like they shouldn't have to uh right exist under
2: went on is like a fucking real threat to democracy right yeah and like you've is gotta, mandy q I and mean, on now is 20 probably mandy, maybe she is that's where that's where she's Mandy q. Went. oh shit she's that's where she went
1: mandy is q, Mandy's q.
2: Is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I mean, by cute. the way, it's uh, it's, it's not that far from where she's at. But uh, mm. Leo tells Bartlett that he's moving a, a battle carrier group because of the hurricane, as a safety precaution. Hint, hint. That might not work out. Uh, Toby wants the president's toast to be candid about Indonesia. Um, uh, Danny talks to CJ about the Verme protesters outside the press conference. I mean, it's it's
1: the Verme thing. I liked. I know that it's I did, kind of- too. In many ways, it feels like one more thing. It feels like, it, you know, it's just like we've got so much going on. And, right. and it, it's almost handled that way, too, where CJ is like, now I got to learn what the fuck this thing is. <laughs> and and Abby is able to sort of, like, put it to bed in, like, literally the span of one sentence, which I kind of love. Um, but it does feel... Like it's the runner of all runners, where it's just like, oh, right, that thing. We have to figure out what, the, what that
2: thing what is. What are your feelings on CJ and Danny?
1: Um... At this point, watching the show, especially general. the first time, I was really, really into CJ and Danny, and I think okay. it's it's. I think their chemistry, those two actors, takes that a long way. I think oh, the yes. way that Danny is written is often a problem for me. There's a lot of there's a lot of that sort of like sort of playful sexism that sorkin sometimes thinks is cute and and a throwback in a way that i'm always just like did we have to like did we have to you know write danny specifically that way but i think
2: hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade
1: your style game without blowing your budget Right at home.
0: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: CJ and Danny ultimately are, I think, I just think the chemistry between them is really good. And I think those are really good CJ scenes. Um, But it's, yeah, it can be, it can be a little much sometimes. There's a
2: little bit of no means no, Danny. Yes. Um, but then there's also CJ. You're giving mixed signals. So I, I, I right. there's, there's definitely kind of it doesn't know where to live in that. It made me think right. of watching this a little bit and thinking about Danny until CJ. Um, I don't relents is the wrong word, but finds a way mm. to to navigate that relationship. But uh, yeah. it made me think of. Uh, Studio 60, uh, Bradley Whitford, Amanda Peet, she's pregnant, eating a sandwich, and he's like, buckle up, baby, I'm coming for you. There's nothing you can do. And I'm just like, what the fuck is happening?
1: It's (laughs) so terrible. So I recapped that series (laughs) for Television Without Pity. So I recapped that till the bitter end. That was one where even when they were burning off episodes in the summertime to end it, I recapped all those episodes. And I really... I like Amanda Peet so much. And I really, Same. I thought her performance in the pilot was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm into this. And the fact that that's where that storyline went for her and the fact that yeah. she and Bradley Whitford's character, not only like the determination to couple them up felt so aggressive, especially when <laughs> like Matthew Perry and Sarah Paulson's characters mm-hmm were like, they had such a hard time making that work and they struggled really, really hard to make that work. And I'm just like, you already have your handfuls with this thing. Like, don't make double the trouble for yourself trying to now make this relationship happen. And you're right, it was that that episode where they were both like locked on the roof or whatever. And he was basically just like, no matter what you, you may say that you do not want a relationship, but you do want a relationship and I'm gonna wear you down. And it's just like- Oh my god, oh, it's crazy. It's, I
2: mean, listen, that show obviously. I mean, we could do an entire podcast on Studio 60, which I'll I, be I here would for gladly it. do, gladly yeah. do. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just say this: I do think that uh, it did feel like the odds were stacked against that show in ways that maybe Aaron Sorkin yes. wasn't even cognitive of cognizant. Cog, you know what I meant? Um, yes. Yeah. Of uh, I, I feel like the. The pressure that show had on it to perform, to save NBC, that it yeah. was going to be the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just like, what are you doing to a show that, quite frankly, if it was just kind of left alone to its own devices, we never would have got, you know, kidnappings and 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 various things like that. Right. But there's all these weird stakes that are jammed into it. Um Amanda Peek gets pregnant, which is not her fault. Obviously, right. she gets pregnant and they have to, I mean they either choose to write it in the show or write her off the show. Right. So that bakes them into this, well, what are we going to do, which fast forwards a relationship that perhaps wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. This is all to say that the Danny and CJ stuff on the West Wing feels very organic. Like it doesn't yes. feel, you know, jammed in there or shoehorned in there. I'm with you that I wish that Danny up top was a little less me, 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 and mm-hmm. not listening to the nose that CJ professionally yeah. was trying to have the the those borders. Yeah. But you also get a great line where he's like, I think you handled the Vermeer scandal really well. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's just, I I, I do yeah. appreciate it. Um, And to your point, it's all in the casting. Had this not been uh, Timothy Busfield and Allison Janney, yeah. who knows what it might've looked like.
1: And I also feel like, the power dynamics of their jobs are actually really interesting where sometimes he has the upper hand on her because he can sort of wield the power of the press and sometimes she has the upper hand on him because she can, you know, control the flow of information and they are in the same pit essentially but working different sides of the ball and what the complications that does for that relationship, I think that's all really interesting. It's great. And, And this is the first episode where you get, right, I don't think they had really had anything sort of romantic up
2: until this point. Correct. This was the first time that flirting and all that stuff even came up. And she, to, 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 I guess, someone's credit, I mean, I I appreciate that CJ calls him out on it and says, like, what is this? And he's like, you know, and and it is sort of what it is. Um, And and I also just want to say, too, that, that where they land... Danny and CJ at the end of the series is really, really beautiful, and it feels really. And I think
1: that colors a lot of my feeling on them too, because I really do like the way that they end up together.
2: Yeah. Um, I want to just rewind to Mandy one more time, very quickly here, because there's something else that we didn't really get to, which is um, the the frustration that she thinks Josh feels about the fact that Bartlett listens to her, Um, and 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 that she weaponizes that to get him to, uh, by him I mean Bartlett, to put. uh, negotiator into the hostage situation, which yeah. obviously um, you know goes sideways when the the hostage negotiator is is wounded and it's a whole thing. And that's and Mandy feels guilty for that. Yeah. Um, it's also probably the last time that Bartlett listens to her, uh, which is another sort of like you've taken Mandy, you've put her up, and now you've torn her down. And now it's just like they kind of just don't do anything with her moving forward. Well, really.
1: and it's a very atypical Bartlett decision. I think it's really interesting that we don't see the scene where yeah. she convinces him to listen to her to send in because her argument there is we need to send in the mediator it probably won't work but the optics will be better if we do if we try to exhaust an option before we go and charge in and obviously a lot of this storyline ruby ridge is a big uh, antecedent but like also the um the the Waco raid and the Elian Gonzalez situation, both of those things, which made Janet Reno and the justice department sort of feel like, um, villains in within the Clinton administration. So like all this stuff was like a lot more recent in mind. Um, and so I could see where like that, you know, in formulating that storyline, the media consultant would be very aware of this is going to make us look bad the way that, you know, unspoken the way that like you know it's looked bad for the Clinton administration um yeah but I think it's really interesting that we don't see that scene because it doesn't seem like the thing that Bartlett would do which is make a decision purely based on enhancing the optics yeah. of it and I totally agree and which is either, why we don't see
2: it which is <laughs> I, think. I think
1: why we don't see it yes yeah.
2: I, I mean, I, I think that the, the closest we get is a a look between Bartlett and Mandy, yeah. um, where there's sort of this, like, acknowledgement of mm-hmm. what she's trying to do and say, and Bartlett kind of acknowledging it. Um, it's What's interesting about it, too, is, um, and this speaks to your point, uh, we don't really see any Bartlett-Mandy scenes, yeah. Um, because I think that Aaron Sorkin recognizes that Bartlett wouldn't have these scenes with Mandy, so this right. off-screen relationship that exists holds no water for us as a viewer because we're just right. sort of like, wait, what's happening? I didn't right. see it, so how am I supposed to really believe it? Right, exactly. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. The other thing that I think is interesting, too, about uh, the getting rid of Mandy is that the Joey Lucas character that's brought in in season two in a lot mm-hmm. of ways checks a lot of the boxes that Mandy checks in terms of public opinion, in She gets terms brought of in optics. in season
1: one we're probably not too far away from Joey Lucas actually.
2: Oh, maybe you might be. Cuz she's in, totally in the California episode in the California Oh, you're right, episodes, you're right. She's absolutely in the California episodes. Um yeah. Uh so it, it it does feel like weirdly when Joey Lucas is brought in, she makes Mandy that much more superfluous to to the show absolutely. moving forward. Um so uh I, let's talk a little bit for a second here about uh this interpreter fiasco that that that, yes. that, that, that plays out. Yeah. Uh which is that uh, Donna has found uh, the... Interp- we basically realized that the interpreter that Donna found doesn't speak the same language uh, of uh, as the Indonesian official that they need. So Josh right. and Toby... It-, it creates a broken telephone situation where, like, right. there's two interpreters that need to interpret each other, which is very classic Sorky and kind of playfulness of like how long this conversation would take to actually transpire. Right. Um, And, and there's a great joke of Josh being like, what do you think about dinner? Like there's, there's something great about like Josh trying to like have just a normal conversation. And Toby's being like, we do not have time for that. Which is great. Um, it's it's also great that it tees up a funny scene that quickly turns into Toby being kicked in the balls by this Indonesian official, yeah. which is, I think, fucking phenomenal. Um, you really didn't
1: see it coming. Like, it really comes as a, totally. as a big surprise because you're right, it is sort of framed as almost like the comic relief moment with, like, mm-hmm. this, you know, uh, almost like Marx Brothers-esque like, totally. game of telephone. And, and Donna's presence in there sort of enhances that too. And I did like the one moment where because Toby has this one really obnoxious moment where he like tries to like one up this, this cook for like not speaking yeah. English. And at the very least Don is the one to just be like, well, he speaks he speaks, you know, Indonesian and Portuguese. So I wouldn't look down your nose. <laughs> yeah. Like that was at least good, but like Toby's kind of a jackass in this episode. And I yes. think maybe that's because this, you know, f- you know, because of this moment is coming where this Indonesian official, uh, who turns out does speak English. Um, Uh, is basically like, oh, so now you need a favor from me after you wrote this speech where your president essentially just like embarrasses my president in front of the entire world for, and like, obviously, you know, Indonesian human rights abuses are, you know, a real thing and certainly above my pay grade, but like I watch documentaries too. So like, I at least like, you know what I mean? It's just like.
2: (laughs) um, I agree. I I think that it's, I think the reason that – one of the myriad of reasons that this episode works so well is because there are wins and there are losses. Um, and there's yes. more losses yes. than wins when everything is said and done. And yeah. I think that it's one of the first episodes of the show where you get the real feeling that this administration is not going to win every time. Like, right. it can't just be a cavalcade of, of rah-rah Bartlett administration. Right. Right. Um, and showing Toby's flaws, showing his lack of humility, his lack of ability to be able to see that he's just you know verbally abused this president, mm-hmm. uh, and has the audacity to talk about human rights in comparison to the various you know human rights issues that might very well exist in America, yeah. and say like do me a, do me a solid is just right. a, is a crazy thing. Um, and but but I would also say too, and this is a testament to Richard Schiff's tremendous acting, as is everybody's, but his in particular, yeah. what his what he can do with a look like it's all over toby's face of just Mm -hmm. knowing oh my god what have i done my my friend my friend who's trapped in a prison like all this stuff is all you can
1: see the moment where he realizes that he's overplayed his hand and (laughs) it's just like and he really and you're right that like that look on his face because the stakes in it are very are huge for him because he has this friend who's in a prison like i can't imagine being a political prisoner in indonesia is anything less than incredibly fraught and um and he knows that by his own, um, it's like Sam has a couple moments like this too. When he, uh, when his friend during the the election storyline uh, leaks the uh, the tape, the tape, or yeah. whatever, and Sam real, realizing that he fucked this up, and it's this one's on him. And I think yeah. Toby has this kind of moment right here.
2: And, and, and I like that Josh is uh, there. Uh, sorry, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, uh, I that has one of my favorite Leo lines where he's like, I, I you know, uh, is, I, I don't appreciate what Sam did, but you gotta love the way that he did it. There's like an outline of Sam in a wall somewhere, Sam shaped
1: hole in the <laughs> wall. In the wall. Yeah. yeah, John Spencer has a great line in this episode too. It's not even a line, but the moment where he gets the news about the hurricane changing direction mm-hmm. and the look on his face and the way so, he reacts to that is just so incredibly like your your yeah. blood runs a little cold, and you're just like yeah. you feel exactly the dread that he's feeling of just like this is going to get bad
2: and well that's that comes to uh the 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 revelation at the end of season four when zoe's kidnapped and the look on john spencer's face as he's running to tell bartlett um it's it's john spencer is unbelievable on this show um you know he was the first one cast uh which i think is really interesting um he's just he's the I, i think it's one of the many reasons why this show didn't continue, but the death of John Spencer felt like a real sort of like this show can't continue without this character. Right. Um, and, and he he was just a uh, tremendous on the show, and his relationship also with Abby, we, we talked about that a little bit, but the chemistry yeah. that he has with with uh, Stalker Chan, the Fred is, Astaire is
1: moment where uh, yeah, he starts great. to do the little dance, it. it's so wonderful,
2: it's, yeah, it's yeah. wonderful. Um, right. I, I also think too that that um. Just for what it's worth, there is a, a a nice Donna moment when when the Indonesian official speaks English, and she turns to Josh and said, "Let's just focus on the things that I did right." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, which I think is great. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I really do appreciate all of that. I I think that this is uh, I, I want to uh, talk very briefly about this. Lori Sam stuff oh, for right. a second. We've got because oh, we, we, we just we, we got the, the storyline exists. We yes, have them in a yes. diner together um, earlier on, where she's studying, and there's a cute scene, and clearly in the diner that they shoot uh, ER in as well. Um, and oh, that uh, makes
1: perfect sense. Yes, now that you say <laughs> that, I'm
2: just like, yep, that's right. So it's the same diner, yeah. um, and uh, and the two of them have they do have they do have a, a, a sweet banter. I don't dislike them right. when they're not... Uh, in political situations, like when it can just be kind of two people, I I mm-hmm. do appreciate it and I do like it. Um, she shows scene up. Really her- made
1: me want to have a chicken salad sandwich with a pickle. Yes. too. like it really sold the uh the the diner <laughs> of it all. Yeah.
2: So she shows up at this at the state dinner with a fundraiser named Cal Everett. Uh, it's absurd to me that she had no idea she was going to the state dinner. Um. Yes. It's yeah. implausible to me that she yes. didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but the the line that really kind of breaks me on this on this storyline in this episode is Sam turning to Lori and saying I'll give you $10,000 not to go home with that guy tonight. Yeah. I hate this storyline so much. It's really bad. I yeah. I hate that it's that Sam thinks he can buy her away from somebody. It's all gross and awful. Uh, anyway, Please. There's a moment in the in a
1: few episodes where Toby just goes, "Oh, you don't think you're you're you don't you're not trying to reform her are you oh God, yeah. you're trying to reform her and it's just like and that's sort of the comedic into it, but it really is just like it again it's back to Sorkin's unfortunate tendencies towards um these sort of like paternalistic attitudes yeah. about this kind of thing, and like we're not supposed to see Sam as the good guy, but we're supposed to see his impulses as righteous. And I don't see that either. Like, it's just, it's incredibly retrograde. Like we've obviously like, we've evolved a lot in the last, you know, 20 years or so about our attitudes about things like sex and sex work and things like that, or at least maybe a lot of people have, but like, even still it's just like the, this assumption that, well, Sam just wants what's best for her so his so our sympathies should still be with him and if you like take even a second to come at it from laura's perspective you're just like this like all of the all of the discomfort is on her end and like what a you know what a horrible position for her to be in and on the night where like she has this lovely experience where she meets the first lady and it's clearly incredibly like moved or whatever and like and he's there just sort of like ruining it and uh yeah. It's and just, you it's, never it's, get it's, the it's, sense yeah. that like is he in love with her? Like, like that no, no, he's already flirting with Mallory in other episodes. It's not even like, you know, yeah. It's like it's it's a, it's is he's he just seems like he's on his horse, you know, trying to white knight this whole situation just really. for the value of like improving a young woman's life. And it's just like shut up.
2: It's really I, – I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's, it starts in the pilot where he accidentally finds out that he slept with a call girl. Right. And from that point on, it's guilt that he slept with a call girl mixed yeah. with I can fix her and save her. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, it's turned then into a plot device to sort of ramp up – pictures that ultimately start to happen of like him with this. And it ultimately goes nowhere. He buys her a briefcase for graduation and it ultimately just peters off into nothingness. But uh, it's just, it's, it's a mess. And it's so unfortunate too, because I think that had Sam's storyline been um, stronger I think that Sam's character moving forward would have had such a better base to work from. I'm not saying that that the show wouldn't have ultimately became what it became, which is obviously the Bartlett show in terms of him being the center of the show. But but this storyline really sealed Sam Seaborn's fate as not being the lead of this television show.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And it's funny because... West Wing, because it has such a strong pilot, its pilot is, like, incredibly well-regarded, and rightly so. It's an incredible pilot. There is this sense that, like, the show had it nailed from, like, the beginning. Yeah. And, like, you yep. watched, watch season one again, and there are, there's a lot of stuff like this, and there's Mandy, and it's whatever. And it's just, like, they were still getting it. They were still, you know, moving towards whatever. And I guess credit to the show for eventually dropping the things that weren't working. But while yes. they're in it, it's really, really tough to watch. And it's especially tough to watch. Again, we talked about Lisa Edelstein being a great actress. And it's just like, I want so much more for her. I wish she could have been able to like, if that storyline never existed, she could have showed up in season three or four yeah. as a congresswoman or something like that. And it yeah. would have been, you know, whatever. It's a...
2: I, to- I totally agree. Um, I-, I just uh, I want to just underline one more time. Uh, the-, the the scene that Martin Sheen and Stalker Channing have together um, is-, is not just tremendous uh, because they're great actors, but like, Hearing that they didn't know each other, hearing that they didn't know much about their backstory, but their amazing. marriage. And yeah. when you see the two, it's it's it, you absolutely one thousand percent buy that these two have been married for a million years. Yeah. Um, it, it does help that like they also seem like perfectly matched visually too. Like yeah. they both like yes. they just have this perfect sort of height and everything's just kind of like this this perfect little package. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very end of the episode, uh, Bartlett is um connected with the Hickory which is a small maintenance ship that is amongst all of these uh, battle carriers in the middle of uh, a hurricane uh, I think ultimately it ended up being like 1200 men or something or 12,000 men or some crazy number of people in the whole
1: group yeah in yeah. the whole in group the whole of all of these group,
2: things yeah. so and we, and we don't ever get a body count but um, that being said uh, Bartlett is is connected with this small ship and he's connected with this kid in the radio shed basically yeah. on yeah. this boat and um, I, I literally get goosebumps thinking about it It makes me cry every time It's, really it's a good. tremendous scene yeah. um, It's it's so Basically the beginning of the scene Is interesting too because the the I guess the officer who connects Bartlett Says I have this guy In the radio show and he says you got We're trying kidney. to get the captain but the right. only
1: person we have now is this guy And And Abby is the one who is just like, talk to the, talk to
2: the, talk to the boy. And, and it's, it's such a, um, it's such a grounded moment where Bartlett, um, who starts very sort of like puff chest president ready to talk to it, whatever. And then by the end of it is sitting down, like, like, almost cradling this this telephone, uh, mm-hmm. talking to this boy. Uh, and the last thing of the episode is, well, I don't know, man, it's pretty bad. I think I'd ask for my money back. I'm going to stay right here as long as the radio works. It's and it's tremendous. almost, like, outside of the regular Bartlett cadence, which I love,
1: too, where it's, like, yes. it's not delivered like a yeah. regular Bartlett line. It almost feels like it's like Apocalypse Now, Martin Sheen, right? It's sort yes, of just like, yes, it's like yes. he's he's he f- feels a lot younger. He's sort of like, he's powerless. He's absolutely powerless to help. And all he can do is just sort of like, just talk to this kid. Yeah. And I I, rem- I remember from watching it, the first time I remember it being like a really big, just like, oh, wow, like this is really something special. And also the way that like Tommy Shlammy, like, yeah. pushes the camera in because it starts as this wide shot and that's on all of them and then he just like tightens 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 right onto right onto Bartlett's face and then that, that's the end of it that's sort of where it like fades it. to black yeah. because like and we don't you're right we don't ever find out what exactly we don't find out actually we never find out if the <laughs> negotiator lived we don't know how that teamster strike was settled and we don't know what ultimately we assume that this I assume that this kid died so the other thing I don't know if you remember he brings mm-hmm. it up again in two cathedrals when he's yelling at God when one of the things these mentions is the tendership in, in the okay. Gulf, in the, in the Bay or whatever yeah. that, uh, and when he's saying like, was Josh Lyman just a warning shot, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, it's like, it made an impact on him. Clearly this was, yeah. you know, something that stuck with him.
2: It's, it's, I couldn't, could not possibly agree with you more. It, it's, it's one of those things too, where um, the economy of words is something that, People mm-hmm. don't necessarily say that about Aaron Sorkin. They think that he's a, mar- a very a person who uses a lot of words, right. and and he does. But there's an economy in the words that he's choosing, yes. and 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 telling us, you know, that the kid's bleeding, that his head is bleeding, t- telling us the size of the waves and 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 the green water that's coming over, and like all yeah. of these details allow you to visualize what this boy is in the middle of. Yeah. Um, so that it's that much more harrowing. It's that much mm-hmm. more. Um, uh, Obviously... Tragic. It's it's a really really beautiful scene, and it's it's one of the scenes that always stuck with me about this show. Yeah. I, obviously, there's many of them, uh, and I'm very excited to hear about your favorite episode. But I, I do think that um, there are these 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 scenes, these moments that, for whatever reason, whenever I rewatch them, always gets me. Uh, yeah. uh, Donna talking to her her high school teacher in the Oval Office. Yes, always gets me. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I might take issue with. As an episode, to some degree or another, specifically the hockey stuff. I don't know why Aaron Sorkin hates hockey as much. It's such a weird scene. It's such a weird scene. <laughs> but I forgot but all that, that being that's s- the episode that it's in. Yeah. <laughs> but all that being said, it's like there's these things where you're just like, my God, he just knows how to get that blade in between your ribs and just really get to you. It's it's yep. it's really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and 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 it's interesting that you talk about the fact that there are all these ellipses at the end of this episode, mm-hmm. um, which becomes a hallmark of the show. You know, Sorkin's not necessarily interested in rounding off every story and making sure that everything comes with a nice bow, right. but you know that by Bartlett basically threatening the unions and the corporations with various...
1: Right, right. Uh, <laughs> the semiotics of all of these things, you can sort of, like, you sense... I do feel like if I were to put money on it, obviously the Teamster strike seems to be, like, it's going to get settled. Yeah. If I were to bet, I'd say the interpret the negotiator, survives, but Lay like, is probably yes. pretty badly hurt and whatever. And yeah. like this kid that he's talking to on the radio, like all of the visual language of this says, like this kid's going to die. Like this yeah. kid's not going to make it through it. Yeah. And
2: yeah, it's and and the other thing too, there's like a nice little hint of this as well. And 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 they go farther with this more so in the in the John Wells years than the Sorkin years. But um, but Leo's military background comes into play as well a little bit here mm-hmm. too. It's a little yeah. bit of a hint of like the Radio Shed. And the, the idea of like that the, they're trying to find the captain and, and giving sort of Bartlett a little bit of the lay of the land from a sort of military perspective as to this ship and all these things that are going on, which I think is really interesting. Um you know, again, something that's that's hit pretty hard, very hard, in fact, in these first handful of episodes is Bartlett's inexperience when it comes to the military, oh, his inexperience yeah. with the Chiefs, uh, the the Joint Chiefs, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it is interesting to see how all that's kind of pushed away for Bartlett to just connect with this young man who's mm-hmm. in a in a, a tragic situation. Yeah. Um, so, what's your favorite episode, Joe? All right, so I made a little bit of a list because you I didn't
1: uh, want to like forget anything. Yeah, I got nowhere to so, be. So, like. I basically have, so, all right, I love Indians in the Lobby because of the Butterball Hotline scene is really, really fantastic. (laughs) Like, I can't not include that. I think that's just an A-plus storyline and some of the best, uh, just fantastic. Um, I love, I do love the early Ainsley episodes. I think it's surely to their credit and so sort of... Wonderfully, and is you know classic Sorkin, Gil- Gilbert, and Sullivan. Stackhouse <laughs> yeah. filibuster rules. Stackhouse filibuster is so f- fantastic, and and fo- borrows that format from Sports Night, where they they're all writing letters, the they're yeah. writing emails home. Yeah. Um, the Supremes, the o- the best, the only mm-hmm. really great episode from season five sure. um, with gun Close. Gun Close,
2: yeah.
1: Um, I have to throw on U.S. poet laureate because oh, all, Lord I love Laura Dern. Dern, but also because it's about. Television without pity. It's about Aaron Sorkin going on the television without pity message boards and freaking out. Like that's the inspiration for the Josh storyline in that episode um so that when i wasn't there i was not working there then i started working there after but i remember after i got that job and i was yeah. telling my parents about it and i'm like and i'm saying and my dad's the biggest west wing fan out there and so mm-hmm. i said to my dad i'm like that's they're the ones who that episode was about and oh, so, so that that was his that's how we knew that i was <laughs> that i was in a really cool job um but my favorite episode yes Always, always, it's let Bartlett be Bartlett. It's, oh, it's so good. the the way that that episode like recalibrates that season and mm-hmm. just like galvanizes everything and yeah. lets them fail big so that they can like regroup at the end. And it's I will. It's always that's what that was an episode where because that's sort of almost to the end of season one, mm-hmm. and I remember watching that. And again, I watched this at college. By like, it's not like I had like friends who watched The West Wing with me. No, it was just me. And I remember yeah. watching that, and I just said to myself, "I'm just like, this is a great freaking TV show. Like, this is just a really, really fantastic TV show." And
2: uh, it's that also. One- it, it hones in on the Toby-Bartlett relationship in an interesting way, too. Which, yeah. which, as I've spoken about in previous episodes, but I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more here, too, I, you know, I think is one of the best relationships on the show it because it is so water and oil, that mm-hmm. it that, the, the, the frustration that and I alluded to this in a previous episode, um, but but the there's almost a, a Tony Soprano-Melfi kind of relationship between Bartlett and Toby. The mm-hmm. frustration of a powerful man who knows he needs someone else's help who knows who's in who has another person inside their head and hates that that person knows their psyche better than they do yeah um and and it's a it's a fascinating relationship um and 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 the Let Bartlett be Bartlett thing is a is an ongoing, a recurring theme when it mm-hmm. comes to the Toby Bartlett thing of Toby being like, just fucking be yourself. Like stop being worried that you're not achieving something, some unrealistic goal that your father set for you, or whatever it is. I think it's I think it's really fascinating stuff. That one, I think the let Bartlett be Bartlett,
1: though, that's Leo who gets that scene. Right, the Toby I'm sorry, one I'm sorry, yeah. I think the one that one is. I think it's like Hartsfield Landing, the one where they're playing. That's chess where they play they play chess. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they
2: yeah. also there's obviously there's uh, 17 people which is
1: 17 uh, people right yeah. right the big toby scene in let bartlett be bartlett is weirdly with with leo where leo's right. like if you're gonna jump ship like let me know and then toby's right, just right, like right, right, right. he's just like i'm not crazy about you questioning my loyalty in that one <laughs> let bartlett be bartlett is also sort of that's the end of mandy right that's the last big thing mandy gets to do yeah, is yeah. it's her memo that like gets found out <laughs> and whatever and then like they well, like yeah. wrap that up and then like that's that's the end of mandy
2: like yeah it's i i I stand by the fact that it is absolutely crazy that there isn't even a line that someone says about where mandy went like it is that they are that yeah vanished well and that her last episode because she's in that
1: finale the last episode is one where there's this like giant shootout and it's like (laughs) Is that why yeah. there's no more Mandy? Nobody ever says. She doesn't come back for Leo's funeral. That's it's one of my so other crazy. like little pet things is like yes. seeing everybody who got brought back for Leo's yep. funeral and and who, you know, and obviously who didn't, but uh, um, that's a really mm-hmm. fascinating, I wish season seven, I really like season seven. One I of understand. the bad things about it is the way it ends the Toby uh, Bartlett yes. relationship. Yes. That's really, yes. really bad. Yes. But like, it's a fascinating season. I wish the episodes as episodes were more sort of memorable in a way that, like, the early ones yeah. was. Like, season seven just sometimes seems like, one big, long episode. And that's fine. Well, because it's Whereas so like All the campaign it. stuff. You know
2: what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and I agree with you about the fact that, like, John Spencer dying really made that the point to end the show. But I am always fascinated by the administration, the San- what the Santos administration is, Mm-hmm. I'm like, that would be great. Because it's like, Sam is back. Amy has a job in the administration. Mm-hmm. Like, you got Garofalo on board. You got, yeah. you know... I'd watch um, the shit out of that show. I'd watch the hell out of that show. <laughs> like, like Vinick is Secretary of State. Yeah. I'm yeah. in. Like, yeah. Ed O'Neill looks like he's going to be the vice president. Awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. cool. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. It's an interesting...
2: So this this leads to, to, to a question uh, I have for you, which is, yeah. would you want to see some sort of a Aaron Sorkin Netflixy revival thing in the vein of what they did with Gilmore Girls with West Wing? Is that something that you would want? Or are, I mean, listen, I think the show ended satisfactorily. I'm fine with yes. how it ended. Yeah. That being said, would you be interested in seeing Aaron Sorkin's words, Aaron Sorkin end some sort of period at the end of a sentence of his own writing?
1: No. Okay. I think, I think I I would watch <laughs> it. No one has said would, yes
2: thus far, just to
0: be I clear. I would
1: absolutely watch it. I would be petrified as to <laughs> what 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 would become of everything. If the other because if you right. watch it, pol- the politics of the left has changed significantly yes. since then. Yes. Yes. And like that White House is not the White House that like is no. like they were the darl, you know, the liberal darling back then. And like mm-hmm. they wouldn't function that way now. Honestly. I know I mentioned Amy Gardner a lot, but like Amy's the most 2021 compatible character on that show, just from her politics. Like Toby's right. really like right wing reactionary on a lot of foreign policy stuff. Leo also is too. Like post 9 11, Leo and Toby both become like these like massive hawks in a way that like is really interesting. Um, and and I also feel like like what what is what is Jed Bartlett and his MS looking, like, 20 years on. Do you know what I mean? Like, do we have to confront the realities of that? And I just, there was that little, small little tempest uh, in a teapot around the election Mm -hmm. where Aaron Sorkin talked about how he would write the end of the Trump administration and, you know, that he would basically have, like, the Republicans in Congress, like, tell him it's time to stop and whatever. And it's like, part of me was just, like, Sorkin was a little more prescient than you knew, and he knew that that would be the only thing that could stop him, and unfortunately it didn't happen. But it also sort of exposes the sort of the fairy tale of what Sorkin feels like politics should be and a way that politics very much isn't. And I think the the differences in that would make any kind of modern-day West Wing feel pretty excruciating. I just wouldn't want to see it end that way
2: i i mean listen people would hate it too like people would (laughs) absolutely tear it to shreds people listen i'm not saying that i really want it necessarily um is there a part of me that would love to see the gang get back together to help charlie run for senate or something like that sure kind of there's a little bit of me i I get it that would would be nice to see Um, i get it but but i agree with you 100 that i um, that Aaron, and it's so interesting too, because it does feel like every election cycle that happens, somebody says, Well, we gotta get Aaron Sorkin's take on this election, right? Right. I mean, like why do we? Why really? Why? He's he's not even a particularly politically minded individual, really. No, like he doesn't he's he's not, not. he's not even really plugged into politics. So it's just like, yes, he wrote a show about politics, but like you don't really want his opinion. Because his opinion, quite frankly, is he like he's middle of the road. Like he's not particularly far right, far left. He's just he's vanilla. Right.
1: I always, I, 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 I'm always just like, why are we, what, what did we expect? What did we expect Aaron Sorkin's take on cancel culture to be? Like, for God's sake, like, just stop.
2: Stop this. It's I mean, the, the funny part of all of this, if you ask me, and I, I think that as a as a fellow West uh, fellow Aaron Sorkin fan, you'll hopefully agree with me, is that ultimately I don't really think that Aaron Sorkin cares what the words are. He just wants them to sound a certain way in his ears. Yeah. Like yeah. he just it's just music to him. So like he's not even all that invested in what these characters are really saying. He just right. likes the idea of Debate, banter, yeah. and how that right. sounds in his head, and right. he needs people to give him enough research so that the people sound smart. <laughs> That's really yeah, all he's it got is.
1: these. He's got these sort of bugaboos, and some of them I'll agree with, and some of them I won't. He's always has a thing for um, the like uh, education is is demonized in this country, and it's one of those things which just like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yes. But you'll see it that'll pop up in a lot of things he does, and sometimes it's things like. Protesters are usually in it for the like the glory of it all. And I'm just like, oh about that, Aaron. And he sort of like you can see in Chicago 7, he's finally sort of starting to come around on that, at least wrestle with that a little bit. But like there's stuff in the West Wing where like see Toby's going out, it's just like, I'm gonna teach these kids how to protest, like old school. And I'm just like, whatever, Toby. (laughs) Um but um so he definitely has like there are things he believes about politics and the way the world works yeah. and that kind of a thing. And those show up time and time again, but he doesn't have like a coherent political thesis.
2: Ideologically, he's just not particularly um, deep is ultimately yeah. kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I think, I think that it's, right. it's it's pretty surface yeah. for him. Um, I mean, he's a boomer, man. Like, he's the boomer of boomers. Like, yes. it's it's crazy. Even like just his his needle drops are so dad rock. Like, he's just he's oh, yeah. just the he's just a boomer. That's I mean, as, I mean, that's what it is. As
1: the child of two incredibly, you know, well-meaning boomers, like I I get it, and I I'm sympathetic to it. You know what I mean? It's like, totally. um. I'm very fine with letting Aaron Sorkin, let Sorkin be Sorkin. You know what I mean? That's sort of where I come across in that. Just like he he occupies a very specific space. Yes. And I think as long as we don't, you know, afford him any more gravity than he deserves.
2: Yes, yes.
1: I am very fine with letting him do the things that he does.
2: You know, I, I think that that applies to a lot of different writers too. Like, I I think that part of the problem ultimately is that – um. And I think it's what happened with with uh, the newsroom, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he got to inside his head. He got to inside of what he thinks people want from him. You can see it with lots of filmmakers, too. You can see it with Cameron Crowe as well, like, making films yeah. that he thinks people want from him. And rather than, like, just do you, man. Like, do a thing that you care about, and maybe yeah. someone else will care about it, and it will connect with people. But this idea of trying to check boxes and stuff, it's just, it's dangerous. Well,
1: the newsroom always makes me think of, the, when people People sort of talked about how much they hated Studio 60 because it was about a late night show, yeah. but it wasn't funny, and it didn't, and and everything that we saw of the late night show was like excruciatingly unfunny, Girl. and a lot, a lot of the criticism of it was. Why, if you're gonna make a show about a TV show, just make it about a news show. That's what you. That's what you know. That's what you do well. And a lot of the newsroom feels like Sorkin being like, "All right, I'll do that. Like now I'm doing that. Yeah. Like okay. recognize me." And, and the best things about the newsroom weren't about the news. They were like they were the when like they were the storyline in the second season about like I guess like getting the the Genoa story wrong. Like that was like about reporting and whatever. And I think that was very compelling. But it's like. Marsha gay harden and jane fonda like you know getting high at a party or whatever i'm like that's what i want like that's fun for
2: me it's, okay it is really interesting like the, the newsroom is is an example of of him getting over his skis a little bit um yeah. it's him also getting really burned by writing a show in a vacuum and not knowing public reaction to it until it was already done yeah. um, which was something that he wasn't accustomed to at least with studio 60 for what it's worth he sort of tried to course correct but like right. I think with Newsroom the course correction was the second season which is arguably the best season of the three Absolutely. in terms of the fractured narrative and 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 that really helped him I think he understood that that there were no stakes if everyone knows how these various right. news stories right. play out right like, the
1: best storyline was the one that got invented whole cloth because like right. yes
2: like you're a good, you're a
1: writer of fiction just write fiction
2: yeah which is so funny to me too that he thought I mean the thing about the West Wing is it's all fake politics, right? It's all fake countries. It's all fake whatever. Yeah. And and we can plug, plug and play whatever we want in terms of what really happened, and we can do that. But yeah. the idea that he committed himself to real stories was so bad an idea. Like, I don't know why he thought that was a good idea. Yeah. It, it, not only because it just felt like, you know, when you had – arguably a scene that still weirdly makes me cry even though it makes my brain melt at the same time is the shooting episode of in the course, first season yes, yes. where Fix You's playing. And I'm like, this shouldn't work. Why am I crying? <laughs> Stop. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> but like, it's somehow working. Um, it's that type of stuff that, that is antithetical to his writing. It's very strange. Jeff Daniels yelling,
1: you're a fucking newsman, Don, to Tom Sadowski's character in that show. I have an old coworker who, like, the two of us would just, like, randomly just, like, say that to each other. It was very It's
2: great. There's good stuff there. It's just, it's it's all kind of... It's it's
1: bombastic, and it's, you know, completely over the top. And yet, like, again, there's just the way in which those characters speak to each other, irrespective of what they are actually saying. Like, poor Emily Mortimer's character is, like, such a disaster. But, like, she's got some great, like, lines of dialogue in there because she like does. she's she like she's you know can really sell it. Olivia Munn manages to like carve out the most ridiculous character into somebody who I think is like really, really entertaining on that show. And her and
2: her and uh what's his face? Uh Amanda Seyfried's husband, uh are, are the best couple in that show. Uh Thomas is Thomas Sadowski is her yeah.
1: husband. Holy shit, I didn't yeah. even realize that.
2: Um but yeah their 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 relationship weirdly turns into the the one you're rooting for the 100%. most 100%. 100%. <laughs> so
1: and it just it's comes, and it just like, and it again, like, it comes from, oh, these two characters have really good chemistry together. Let's like yeah. write towards that rather than like the other relationships, which a lot of the time feel very top down and very much sure. just like, you know, Will God and mackenzie you're gonna, are meant for each other. Me, it's like,
2: I'm going to okay. go fucking watch the newsroom now. You've made me now. I know. I, I know. want to go I've done watch it. the re- news Now room. I've done it. Yeah. You're going to go and watch the newsroom. Yeah. <laughs> like, God damn it. um Yeah. Uh, a very strange show, but, um, I here's another I this will be the last question uh and I'll let you go. Um do you want to see Aaron Sorkin work in television again? Yes. Do you you do you do you think I, do. I guess the the grander question is do you think he's a better TV writer or feature writer? I guess is the, the maybe the more specific question.
1: I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion on that. I feel like I I I think he's written movies that I've liked and movies that I haven't liked and I think he's made TV shows that i liked and TV shows that I haven't <laughs> liked as much. Sure. And I think I think the idea of him sort of, again, sort of like TV tends to sometimes be the place where he comes to air out his grudges. That was the other thing about Studio yeah. 60 is everybody on that show had a real life antecedent and everybody on that show felt like he was, you know, he was settling scores with Kristen Chenoweth and he was settling scores with, um, what's her name, Maureen Jamie Dowd Tarsis. and it was all this sort of stuff. Right. Exactly. Every freaking show he has, has to have a Maureen Dowd version on it. It's just like, we get it. Um, <laughs> Part of that's really interesting. Part of that's kind of fascinating. And, like, I think with the the TV shows, mm-hmm. perversely enough, when they're bad, they're at least really fascinatingly bad. And I think sometimes his movies, like Charlie Wilson's War, where it's just like... I, I just like I don't think about Charlie Wilson's War very much because it's I think just,
2: of one scene: the the Philip schumer Hoffman Philip yelling schumer at John Hoffman, Flattery. Yeah.
1: which which is a scene that he borrows. Wait, what? Who else does the I'm never ever sick at sea? Oh, Malice. Uh, that I, scene is borrowed from Malice, yes. and um and also just like every Incredible. other scene where like a Sorkin character like runs down their resume for somebody. Yeah. Um, it's
2: great. Uh, yeah. I I will say this. I I think that. Uh, first of all, on the Studio 60 front, there is something utterly fascinating. I've rewatched Studio 60 far too many times than I'm willing to admit. and, and I, it, there something I admire fascinating. your
1: fortitude, Phil. I really do.
2: There is something fascinating about Matt and Danny being his ego and his id. Like that yeah. that he is literally a split of Aaron Sorkin in two characters, yeah. I think is hilarious and insane. Um, but but I also just think that it's possible that Aaron Sorkin works better in an episodic nature than he does in in a feature. I mean, I, I love uh, I love Moneyball and I love Social Network. I think they're both great movies. I'm not suggesting he doesn't know how to write features. He obviously does. Right. Right. Um, but there's something compact and, 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 and formulaic that I think actually works for him when he's working within a formula. I do think that it gives him a mm-hmm. um, a little bit of, a f- oddly, a freedom to, to, to speak in a way that he doesn't in, in features that I, that I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, for good and bad. I mean, as we've said, some of his shows are fantastic, some of his shows aren't. But, you know. right. so, um, More than anything, Joe, I want to yes. thank you so much for being here. And thank talk- you
1: for inviting me. I so, I love, I love the opportunity to just, like, gab on about the West Wing. I could truly do it for days on end. Like,
2: I, believe me when I tell you that uh, I, 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 we're, I'm going to do Sports Night as well. So okay. I'd love to have you on talk about maybe Sports Night if that's something Absolutely, you'd be interested yeah. in as well. Totally. Um, and uh, and obviously in the future we we can't wait to have you back to talk about a movie or talk about something else in that in that can't uh, wait
1: to come movie. back. I love this. <laughs> uh, I love but this but I really uh, format it. you guys have here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you so so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcastlikeits. We're also on Twitter at podcastlikeits. We're also on Instagram at podcastlikeits. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs, and most of all, thank you all for listening.